Daniel 6, then we'll flip over to Galatians 1 for our sermon text. Daniel 6 is the plot against Daniel. He's saved from the lions and thrown in the lion's den and all those things. Children, you know this story. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. Over these, three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give one account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and the satraps, the counselors and advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree. And whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish a decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed this written decree. Now, when Daniel knew that he was, his writing was signed, excuse me, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day, and he prayed, and he gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since the early days. And these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. They went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, This thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. So they answered and said before the king, That Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you've signed, but makes his petition three times a day to his own God. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. And these men approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians, that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. So the king gave the command. They brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. And no musicians were brought before him. Also his sleep went from him. 
And the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. When he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths so that they have not hurt me, because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. And Daniel was taken up out of that den and no injury, whatever was found on him, because he believed in his God. And the king gave the command. And they brought those men who had accused Daniel and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives. And the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. And King Darius wrote, To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed. His dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. Amen. And then Galatians chapter 1, much like in uh, Daniel 6, uh, Paul is steadfast in conviction in serving the Lord rather than serving men. Kind of the theme verse for uh, Galatians 1. It's, some people point to verse uh, 8 and 9, but I think verse 10 probably uh, captures the, the whole where he speaks about persuading men or God or pleasing men or God. So give your attention to Galatians chapter 1, and again, this is where our sermon uh, will come from. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I marvel that you are turning away so soon, from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men... Or do I now seek to persuade men or to please men? Or do I seek to please God? Do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a servant, a bondservant of Christ. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. When it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remain with him for 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you indeed before God, I do not lie. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they were hearing only, meaning this was the testimony they heard about Paul. He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith, which he once tried to destroy. And they chose to glorify God in me. Amen. Grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God endures forever. The gospel, the good news, it is a message from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is a message. It's grace and peace, as he says in verse 3, from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. No woman, no man, no girl, no boy has invented this gospel, no institution No chain of command has a right to tinker with it. If you do so, Paul says, you run the risk of preaching a different gospel. However, there is not another. Notice he said that in our text. There was was a temptation of preaching another gospel, of believing another gospel. And however, he clarifies that it is actually not another gospel, for there is but one. There is truly but one gospel because there is but one Savior. Children, the word gospel is thrown around a lot. It means the good news of Jesus Christ, that he has died for our sins, been raised from the dead, and intercedes for us at the right hand of God the Father. That's a summary You can only be delivered from this present evil age, as Paul calls it, in one way. And that way has been revealed, not according to the will of man, but according to the will of our God and Father. The gospel comes from God. Paul even, uh, he chooses to emphasize this in Romans by calling it the gospel of God. The gospel of God. Now you might think that Paul's introduction to Galatians is just filler. You know what filler is, right? Where someone's talking to you and they just kind of have these phrases they fall back on and they say the word um a lot or hmm, they hesitate. Something like a very gospel-y sounding um is what Paul is giving, right? But that's not the case. Paul speaks, he, he speaks as a bondservant of Christ to the churches of Galatia. And this verses 3 and 4, uh, excuse me, verses 3 to 5 gives us a bit of a foundation, but also he hints at where he's going in verse 1, that he's not uh, an apostle from men, 
nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and through God the Father, just like the gospel that he preached, just like the message that he had. So his apostleship is from the same source. But did you notice in verse 2 that Paul says churches, to the churches of Galatia? He's not writing to a single congregation, as we might think of it today. He's writing to a regional church. Multiple churches in one region make up a church and participate in the church. The greatest correspondence or the most common analogy we might have today is something like a presbytery. Yet even then, for us, that brings to mind a single denomination, which would have been totally foreign to them. Now, I'm not saying there weren't disagreements among congregations when Paul and John write to the various churches and and Titus and Timothy minister among them. They're all facing different issues, just like our congregations have different issues today. But he wasn't writing to the Presbyterian Church of Galatia. He was writing to the churches of Galatia with all of their warts, and their warts were very significant, as you know in the story of Galatians. And the church is just as divided today, if not more than it was then. The church has been and always will be the church. It is the place for sinners to receive grace from God through Christ by His Spirit. Those in no need of a Savior need not apply. But those in need of a Savior are welcome, just as Christ said. He came to save the sick. Churches are not only for the sick, they are led by the sick. And the error moving through the churches of Galatia, it begins to jump off the page. This is something that is very profound, but it can very easily be glossed over when you're reading the New Testament. Even in the apostolic era, no sooner than the apostles had gotten the simple, pure gospel out of their mouths, people were turning to different gospels. Not that there is another, Paul says. This is not written to the church of Galatia in 350 A.D. It is written in the first century. Jesus had not long before this ascended into heaven. And not only was the church corrupt, even the apostles were doing some of this leading into corruption. Who is half of the book of Galatians directed to? Peter, right? Even the apostles were tempted to and gave into the persuasion of men rather than the persuasion or pleasing of God. Again, you've read Galatians. You know the target of much of Paul's rebuke is Peter and those who are following in his error. Consider the language of the Apostle Paul in verses 6 through 9, where he speaks of marveling that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ. The hymn there is... Is capitalized in the New King James. Again, those things don't happen in the original Greek. That's a matter of interpretation. Uh, Christ is the, ultimately the one who calls them because Christ is the one who gave grace, and that's why he says it's not a different gospel. Christ is the one who delivers the gospel. He's the one who preaches. He makes his point in Ephesians 2 as well. But he says there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Peter. 
and his followers, those who had given in to this error. And that's why he says, but even if we are an angel from heaven, not that that would happen, for angels sent from heaven at this point would have only been bearing the good news, not the bad news, or a false gospel. If anyone is the point, no matter where they come from, preaches anything other than what they had already heard from Paul, they were to be considered accursed, that is, condemned or damned to hell. And who's he saying this about? Remember, he's saying this about Peter and those who are following his error. How does Paul make these uh, bold statements? Because he claims the direct operation of the Lord Jesus Christ upon his own faith, just as the apostles who preceded him. This is uh, made clear in verse 12, also in verse 1, as I handed it, but I want to draw your attention to verse 12 for just a few minutes. Paul claims the direct operation of Jesus Christ upon his own soul to show that he is just like the apostles who preceded him. I neither taught it, excuse me, I neither received it, the gospel, from man. Right? That doesn't just mean that Paul is not preaching man's gospel. It literally means that he received it directly from Jesus Christ. He wasn't taught it by man. He gets into what he was taught in verses 13 to 14, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. And Paul is not talking about reading the New Testament scriptures. He's talking about the very appearance of Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus in Acts 9. Again, this is an interesting claim to trusting the doctrine of Paul over against the doctrine of those who were corrupting the Galatian churches. Peter might say, I came from Jerusalem. Peter might say, I walked with Jesus in the flesh. No one knows better than me. Paul says, just as they would have claimed if they had their heads on straight, I received it directly from Jesus Christ. Paul neither received it from man nor was he taught it by man, but it came immediately through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Christ acted directly upon the soul of Paul. Paul was supernaturally made a messenger or apostle of Jesus Christ by the revealing of Jesus Christ. Paul does not appeal to ordination. Paul does not appeal to being sent by a presbytery or a bishop. He appeals directly to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus himself preached to Paul. And there is something to this claim that should give us encouragement. Again, Paul appeals to no man. He does it in verse 1 and in verse 12. But he does appeal to the Lord Jesus. It is because he is a servant of the Lord Jesus. He is out to persuade not men, but the Lord Jesus himself of his own faithfulness, his own certainty, his only true commitment. His ultimate commitment is to faithfulness to Christ because he's a servant of Christ and the gospel ministry is not about pleasing men or honoring any man or institution. It's about honoring the Lord Jesus Christ. Even in an age of corruption, the pleasure of men cannot be the aim. Why do I say this? Because so often the church has sought to alter its message or alter its worship in an age when attendance is down. 
Well, pastor, you might say that's just the case, especially in an age of corruption where churches are warned against an error. But there are times where you don't need to be so dogmatic against appealing to men and such as, such as that based on their worldliness. There are times to be nice and there are times to be firm. Paul would call that another gospel, not that there is another, because Christ is the one who calls. This same Paul that speaks about his calling in Christ, directly from Christ, he teaches that salvation works the same way, that the believer is united directly to Jesus Christ, not to the church, but to Christ. That is the first charge of the believer, the first charge of the minister, the first charge of the apostles. Christ calls, Christ equips. In every age, there comes a time when we appeal to the highest authority. There are, again, places for arguments about the chain of authority, but there are times when we must appeal to the highest authority. It isn't the men who have taught us the faith. It's because we are persuaded by the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because that is who all men will stand before. It's not much to say if you can persuade men with your manner. The question is, can you persuade God with your manner, your manner of living, with your choice of church, or with your, quote, gospel? That is the question. Paul is warning them that the gospel that Peter was sowing among them, the gospel that they were uh, turning away from, was the only gospel that could deliver them and prepare them for meeting the Lord. He doesn't talk about that directly here, about meeting the Lord, but he does speak of those who turn away from this as being accursed. You might say, Pastor, that puts a lot of weight on the conscience, this call to certainty, this call to believing that what you have is true and directly from Christ. And that may be the case, but again, you, dear Christian, just as the Galatians, just as Paul himself, will have to stand before Jesus Christ someday. And I don't think you'll have to explain to him what your gospel is because he knows. But the question is, what is it? Is it a gospel of man? Is it something that you were simply taught by man? But is, or, or is it something that came through the revelation of Jesus Christ? This is my appeal this evening because it is ultimately Paul's appeal. His conscience was clear before the Lord. Remember in Acts chapter 20, he says that his hands were clean of the blood of all men. He had served in faithfulness. He had no guilt on his conscience in the way that he had carried out his ministry, in the way that he had lived as a Christian. He did not seek to please men because men had not sent him. The Lord Jesus had. His former life, verses 13 and 14, might kind of help to provide a backdrop for this type of thinking, where he speaks of his uh, former conduct in Judaism, persecuting the church, trying to destroy it, advancing in Judaism beyond many of his own contemporaries. How? Because he was more zealous for the traditions of his fathers. Notice that he doesn't say of the traditions of God. Because those things had not come from God. They might have used the Old Testament. They might have used teachings based upon it. 
But Paul had come to know through the revelation of Jesus Christ, through the direct operation of Jesus upon his soul, that they were not of Christ and that the church that he had tried to destroy was of Christ. And that message is what he brought to them. His fathers had traditions, just as many have traditions today. He was zealous for those until the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul's character after his conversion is interesting as well, isn't it? In verses 15 to 24, I won't take the time to go through it, but I'll just draw your attention to one point, that Paul does not immediately confer with flesh and blood. He spends an extended period of time in direct communion with God because that is who he called him. Look at the absence again. Not a rejection of flesh and blood, not a rejection of the church, but Paul's message is from Jesus, and he's certain of it. The church of the Lord Jesus has bore witness to Paul's message being from Jesus Christ through the ages. No one has rejected, that was a sane Christian at least, either the authorship of Paul of Galatians or the fact that it belonged in the Scriptures. His message is not often disputed, though there may be minor disagreements about interpretation But is his manner disputed, his conviction that he is sent by Christ? So many appeal to certain things about being sent by this man, taught by this man. Are we taught by Christ is the question. Is your gospel that which you believe in service to men or in service to God? Who is the ultimate one? That is feared. Now, in some ways, that could be your own conscience. That that man that you fear more than God could be yourself. But whoever it is, that one is not the one before whom you will answer in the day of judgment. Christ alone is the one, the one who gave the gospel, the one who created it, as it were, with his life. Give you three closing points, and then we'll pray. One, I urge you as a Christian to have confidence that Jesus Christ has been revealed to you. Confidence that Jesus Christ has been revealed to you. That is the message of the Scriptures. That Christ is revealing Himself through the preaching of His Word. Second, a commitment to Christ's gospel. Getting the gospel right is absolutely imperative. Of course, there's debate over minor details, but there is only one gospel because there is only one Savior. And third, gratitude for the Scriptures. I urge you to this because when Paul wrote these things, yes, Peter references later that there were writings of Paul that were circulating that were hard to understand and whatnot. We have historical witness and scriptural witness to the fact that the New Testament was being compiled. But these Galatian Christians, they just had this letter, maybe some testimonies from the Gospels and maybe the uh, Old Testament in some way, but they were uh, not uh, Hebrew Christians. They were Gentiles. We have a great gift in the Scriptures where the revelation of Christ is as clear, if not more clearly, recorded than the very appearance of Christ in the flesh to Paul that day. You might say that's a weird argument to make. 
That's what Peter says at the end of 2 Peter 1, that we have the greater witness than what he saw with his eyes in the Scriptures. We have no doubt who Christ is when we read the Word. The question is, are we ready to face that Christ, that one who promises to directly operate on our souls? Does your gospel seek to persuade men or to persuade God? For if you please men, you are not a bondservant of Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord in heaven.